Hello, <clears throat> and welcome to our next episode of GKICon panel discussions. Um, this discussion <clears throat> is going to revolve around the mental aspect of goalkeeping. Um, on our panel today, we have local GKICon Pittsburgh goalkeepers. We have Jesse Goldman, who is the founder and owner of Goalline, which is a strength and performance company designed specifically for goalkeepers. He is also a goalkeeper college consultant for a goalkeeper coach, excuse me, goalkeeper coach consultant, excuse me. And we have Sam Gribwitz, who is the assistant and goalkeeper coach for California of Pennsylvania, California University of Pennsylvania women's soccer team. And she's also a goalkeeper coach at a local club team. And our special guest today is Richard Lee. Richard is the owner of GK Icon on a global basis. Uh, he played in EPL with Watford and with Brentford. He represented England at the U18 and U20 levels. Um, but for this topic, and more importantly than his playing experience, um, Richard is or has his master practitioner of neuro-linguistic programming. Um, he has also wrote a book. The book is entitled, So You Want to Be a Professional Footballer. And he's also a professional <clears throat> mental coach for a lot of professional goalkeepers over in Europe. So without further ado, Sam, Jesse, welcome. How are you? Not too great. bad. Good, good. Richard, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you. Very well. Good. Well, let's start, Richard, if we can. Um, can you explain for, for me and my ignorance here, and hopefully for a lot of the younger viewers, what is a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming? Can you explain that, please? Uh, I can try. Yeah, so uh, as the name suggests, so neuro, uh, neuro being the mind, linguistic being language. So it's effectively using language to program the mind. And certainly when it comes to goalkeeping, I think we can all agree the mental aspect of goalkeeping for me is arguably the most important part. We can talk about the technical, physical, nutritional, etc. But I think the top, top goalkeepers, and you look at the top goalkeepers around the world at the moment, I use Alisson as a great example, mentally so, so strong. He can make mistake after mistake, yet it doesn't affect him. He bounces back instantly. So for me, it was when I was in my probably early 20s, I was breaking through as a pro. I wanted to understand how could I approach every single game in the same mindset so that I was very confident going into every single game of football. Because in theory, if you can sort your mind out and you can sort your thoughts out, then your thoughts make you feel a certain way. So how can I approach every single game I play and make sure that my level is up here every single time I play? That's great. That helps. Because one of the questions I get all the time, and, I, and these are from parents from a U10 to U15 level, and, and, and it varies as well, but it's always, what can we do with little Johnny? He makes a mistake and he's done for the game or he's done for practice. It impacts him for days sometimes. What can we just start there? And I know we're going to use examples of the, at the professional level and that's, that's great. Um, but I also want to ask that question too, because I'm going to continuously go back to that as that's probably the number one question I get from parents. Yeah, well, you know, I'll start off with a story here and then I'll go into my thinking behind this. But the story I'll give is uh, I played with Ben Foster a lot. So he was at Watford with me, must have been 15 years ago now, and we were in the Premier League. And there was one game in particular, I was sat on the bench for Ben, it was against Tottenham. And the Tottenham goalkeeper, Paul Robinson, had a uh, free kick just outside the box. Anyway, he launched it forward. The defensive missed it, it bounced, it's gone over Ben's head and it's gone in the goal. This is a Premier League game. Ben at the time was in the England squad. Paul Robinson was in the England squad. And basically, Paul Robinson, the other goalkeeper, had scored past him. So you can imagine, as a goalkeeper, I'm sat on the bench. My heart sank. 
I was like, that's the most, for me, the most embarrassing thing I'd seen. And I think as a goalkeeper, that feeling of you just want the ground to swallow you up. So I'll never remember, I, I always remember, I came back and I sat in the changing room at White Hart Lane and I was waiting for Ben to come into the changing room thinking, what do you say to someone who's just conceded a goal to the other goalkeeper who was in the same England squad with everything that's going on? I, I didn't really know what to say. I felt so awkward, so nervous. Anyway, he comes around the corner and he's laughing. I was like, you okay? He goes, yeah, did you see what's happened out there? And I was like, yeah, I think we, we all saw what happened. He was like, oh man, I'm going to get some stick for that, aren't I? I was like, you probably will. Yeah. Oh, well, never mind. He got himself on the phone and started then playing around on some game on his phone. I was like, hey, you okay? He's like, yeah. And it just gone. I was like, well, something. He's like, oh, it happens. It's a mistake. And where I was very different mentally, that would have eaten away at me for days, weeks, months. He'd forgotten about it in a second, a split second. He'd just put it in a box. It was done. Now, the reason I tell that story and where it relates then to, to kids is you don't have to feel a certain way. But what ends up happening, if you don't understand your thought processes, you are going to feel a lot of negative emotion. So for me, I made a mistake instantly. My mind went to, oh, what, you know, my parents just seen that. What are my teammates going to think? Oh, what if it costs us the game? And all these negative thoughts that go through you. And naturally, your thoughts release chemicals within the body. You know, we could, again, without getting too technical, the, the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between what's real and what isn't real. Now, what I mean by that is imagine you're about to go to sleep. And we've all done this as goalkeepers. You're about to go to sleep and you imagine making a save. You jump. And the reason you jump is because the subconscious mind doesn't know that it's not really happening. In the same way, that if you imagine now, with all of your passion, you're playing in the World Cup final and you make a winning penalty save, you'll get the hair stand on end because your mind thinks it's real. So the point is, if you can then control your thoughts and you can direct your thoughts, which are your choice. No one's telling you to think a certain way, but if you can direct them a certain way, you can feel a certain way. Now, that's easy to say. Of course, if you're eight years old, 10 years old, to try and explain that to a kid is tough. But what you can do, I think, as a coach or as a parent is keep feeding the right information into them, which is essentially all you can do is give your best. It's as simple as that. You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. But even when you make that mistake, just know that look, it, it's fine. It's okay. And this is why it's so, so important for coaches not to get hard on goalkeepers that make a mistake because otherwise it will start to solidify the idea that a mistake is bad and that mistakes should make you feel a certain way. Well, the truth be told is that really, as long as someone's trying their best and they're giving everything, then really you've got to be so careful how you, you uh, communicate a mistake with a goalkeeper, I think. Yeah, I was going to and truthfully, I speak to parents a lot, but another people I would love to speak to, and you just said it, are coaches. Because it's, it's the coach's reaction that they're fearful of because they're the ones who are going to limit their playing time now based on that mistake. Um, so if you don't have that learning culture, so to speak, um, your, your goalkeepers are going to, um, I think, struggle as a result if, if you don't have that mentality. Hey, Rich, Rich I have a, have a follow-up question to that too. Sorry, Sam. Um, again. <laughs> it, do you value, I guess, an importance of a kind of post-mistake routine, like having parents or coaches develop something like, let's say you do have a ball go through your hands, like what are, what are the next thoughts that go through your head? And like, you know, what would you tell maybe a 13, 14 year old goalkeeper to do to start to develop kind of that post mistake routine to keep, to make sure his mental, mental health is still there and he's still focused on the game. It's a great question. And I think that there's certain techniques. So NLP, your uh, linguistic program, there's certain techniques that talk about, do you know one of the most basic techniques, but still one that I use to this day, and that's affirmations. Now, for those who don't know what an affirmation is, it's positive self-talk. So it might be a mantra to yourself that you, you say to yourself, do you know one of the best forms of training, and I'd advise every goalkeeper to do this, most pros do this, in the morning of a game, 
get the music playing, you know, in your headphones or whatever, go somewhere private, go through the game in your head, imagery, get excited about the game and talk to yourself as you're doing it. Like, I'm a fantastic goalkeeper. I'm ready. I'm pumped. I'm powerful. And maybe even when you get to a real level of, of I'd say, expertise, you can even then mimic mistakes in your mind and then decide how are you going to react. The moment you made that big mistake, how are you going to react? Now, you see some goalkeepers will kind of give it this. It's almost like uh, washing the mistake away. That's a mm -hmm. classic one that you'll see a lot of goalkeepers. Or they'll do like uh, almost something like this, almost like right. a, a gesture, which is, right, it's done, move on to the next. Because, look, the real simple truth is that during a game of football, you should be in the present moment for every, for every second. If your mind's in the future, thinking about what might or might not happen, then you're not focused on the game. If your mind's on the past, thinking about what has happened, Again, you're not focused on the game. In the perfect world, you focus in the present moment for 90 plus minutes. Then as soon as the game's done, that's when you can sit with your coach, take emotion out of it, and then you can analyze your game. And you can look at it, you can pick it apart, and you're not doing it in such a way where you feel... And this is one of the hardest things, and I, I struggle with this, is that a goalkeeper, and as a human being, we align ourselves with our game. So you have a good game, you feel great. You have a bad game, you feel bad. The problem with that is you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster for your entire career. If you can separate you, the footballer, and you, the human being, you can then look at your game and you can be really brutally honest as to what was good and what was bad. Nice. Nice. Sam, I was going to actually ask you, you know, you, you deal a lot with the, the academy levels, um, as I do, and, and I see it all the time. I'm assuming you see it as well. And what's your routine when you see a goalkeeper going through that type of mental slump? Um. Well, it depends on if it's in a training or in a game. Um, a lot of times, if it's just in training, you know, I try to, you know, tell them, hey, this is where it's time to make the mistakes. You know, just relax. Um, sort of, you know, keep, keep the positive affirmations like you were talking about going. Um, in the game, um, I, I do the same thing for pretty much all age keepers that I work with is, you know, if, if a mistake happens, you know, I try to tell them, you know, when you're in the game, just move past it, you know, as the ball's going back up to the midline, you know, focus on it and then let it go. Um, after the game is when we can really review um, and go over, was there something that you could have done? Was there something different you could have done? Or was it kind of just out of your control? Um, and I try to sort of hammer that into, you know, the goalkeepers is, is, is you know, focus on what you can control and what you can't control. Um, and try to take it from there. That's good. If I could just, if I could just jump in actually, because you made a great point there. And this is where I think, as a mentality as well as a coach, I would advise is that when mistakes are actually one of the most biggest and the best things that can happen, because as you say, you sit down, you talk with the goalkeeper, and the point is that you're never ever going to play the perfect game. There's always going to be something wrong with your game, which is great because that gives you then an opportunity to learn. If you've made a mistake there's an opportunity to learn. There's an opportunity for you to be a better goalkeeper. So I think we almost need to, of course, don't, and it's a real fine line where you don't want to like let the keepers maybe get a bit lazy and be okay with making mistakes. It's such a fine line. You don't want it to be where they're just making mistakes and they don't really care, of course. But at the same time, you don't want it to be that they're making mistakes, they're getting down. The point is that they make a mistake. Yeah, of course, naturally, they're going to be a bit upset, of course, but take it as a positive. Great. Do you know what? We've got something we can go and work on in training because of that mistake, you are now going to be a better goalkeeper. One of the worst times for a goalkeeper is often when things are just going brilliantly. Because how often have we all been in that position where you're playing good game after good game, you almost get a little bit overconfident and a little bit complacent because things are going so well. And actually, your game, you're not improving. You're just staying on a level where sometimes it's the toughest times that you go through, which allow you that opportunity to bounce. 
It's funny, Richard, because in the training environment, in, the, uh, in, in our training environment between games, when we see that, those are my opportunities to get, to get out of goalie. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the, in the training environment, like, you know, keep them level-headed, so to speak. And that's one of the times when we like to really get after them. So that's, uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. Richard, one, one question I have for you is, what advice do you have for coaches? We're, we're directing a lot of this at the, 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 the goalkeeper themselves. What advice do you have for coaches who are looking to win? Like they're at that age now where they're slowly starting to get into that competitive environment and mistakes are going to cost the team. And, and what do you say to them? Because most like, goalkeepers, I feel, are in the spotlight only when things are going wrong. Rarely do you see them getting the headlines. I mean, unfortunately, I think we can all attest to that. And the forwards are getting all the glory. Um, at the same time, what happens when that spotlight goes on them and a negative light? What do you advise a, a coach? Yeah, great question. And I think that it's a real fine line because, as you say, and I suppose going back to my previous answer, you don't want to be too blasé or be too okay with mistakes because the point is you need to have that, as a goalkeeper, self-pride. And, of course, it needs to hurt to an extent, I think, when you lose because I think if you become too easy to lose, then you lose that competitive edge, which is what you need to be at the very top. I think your communication with a goalkeeper is absolutely vital. And by the way, this is something that even, and I know this firsthand, even Premier League managers, championship managers, don't have this sorted over here. Someone like a Jurgen Klopp, I think, from what I can see, is brilliant. Every time a mistake has happened from Alisson or from Adrian, even recently, the way that he comes out and deals with it in the media is exactly how I want my manager to deal with it with me. Whereas other managers, not so much. Because consider that your communication to your goalkeeper is going to alter their mindset to an extent, unless they're completely stubborn and they've got their, their own way, what you say as a manager, as a coach, is going to impact the goalkeeper. So I think your communication is vital. Where you want to pump them up, you want them to make sure that they know that you've got their back and you, you, know, you will back them up. But at the same time, you want to put a bit of pressure on them, a nice bit of pressure. You want to gauge their personality as well, because this is, again, where it's not a simple black and white formula. You've got different characters you're dealing with, different personalities. Are they the type sometimes they need a bit of a rocket? Do they need a little bit of a challenge to get the best out of them? Or are they the type where they're just super chilled, laid back, or actually they play best when they're really laid back? You know, I, I mentioned a couple of goalkeepers, and they won't mind me mentioning them, but you know, I mentioned Ben. Ben's a good example where he's a very laid back character. You don't really need to get at him too much. He just, he loves playing football. He loves winning. He loves competing. Um, but as a character, just chill. So you don't really need to get on someone like a Ben, whereas Mark Poome was a great example. Uh, for those who remember, Estonian number one, record appearance maker for Estonia, played for Arsenal, Derby, and, and I was with him at Watford. He was the type of character where he was really intense, where he would turn up at the training ground at eight in the morning, wouldn't lead till six at night. He had his own key for the gym because he believed he had to train harder than anyone else in order to compete at that level. But as a character, so intense. So again, I think you really have to gauge the character you're dealing with and you have to find what their trigger is. And if you can find their trigger and you can make sure that come game time, you've, you've pressed on that trigger, that you know you're then going to get the best out of them. Yeah. Jesse, you and I were talking earlier and you, you had a good story, a good personal story about your experience at the college level and how a, uh, a coach kind of triggered you, so to speak. You mind sharing that? Yeah, yeah. So um, it was uh, the preseason during my senior year. So uh, I, I was starting for three years. So my junior year was statistically was my best year. My sophomore year, we won the championship. So, you know, we're on the rise. My, my individual accolades are rising. I was regional All-American, first team all-conference. I'm like, I'm coming into my senior year. Like, you know, I'm I'm the man, you know, no one can touch me. And, and I was in for a rude awakening and, you know, sure enough, like the first week of my senior year, I'm going through the motions messing around having, you know, I just having a great time. Like, 
yeah, here I am showing up. That's all you need me to do. And then it was like our first, our first preseason game, probably about five, six days into, you know, two, three days. And the night before the night before the game, I was just lazy. I was kind of just like, all right, my coaches are yelling at me. I'm just like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Like, what are you going to do? Bench me. And really, really terrible attitude. (laughs) And then I, I walk into the locker room and the starting lineups on the board and I'm not on it. And I'm like, what, like what's going on and I was so mad and I would you know I wanted to say I wanted to blame the coach like what are you doing like you're you know you lost your mind like who do you think you are and then like I'm going through the game I'm sitting there in the warm-up and I'm like thinking back to everything I'm like all right I have had an absolutely awful attitude this whole year like it's time to change for me and um, from that point it just kind of triggered me and then you know the next day or next whatever day after in training I performed well in the, in the time in the scrimmage, you know, I, I, you know, I showed back to my coaches, all right, like, this is me, I'm back, like, here I am. And so I go into the training the next day, and I'm still not with the starters. He still puts me with with the reserves. And I'm like, man, this guy. So then like, from there, it just took my training up to another level and another level. And until like, you know, the first game of the regular season, I'm back in the starting lineup. But it was like, that week where I was just with the reserves, man, it made me so mad. But like, it, it switched my mentality and switched my attitude, you know, and and it, to me, it was just like these coaches are really going to do like they don't care who I am, what I've done in the past. You know, they're going to get the most out of me. And sure enough, that's what they ended up doing. And but, oh, man, the, the mentality and the attitude of everything like that quick switch that you needed just triggered me. So, Sam, you and I both work from the college game down to the academy level. What's your what's your take on, as Jesse mentioned, benching and, and, and giving someone motivation in that in that regard versus that that conversation that you talked about earlier you mean giving motivation to the player who's the goalie who's on the bench or no let's start with start with the person who's going down or just got demoted like going bringing down to the number two um so normally in those types of situations um you know i try to talk to them um because obviously they want to know what they did wrong what they can fix um, and so I, I need to keep all of the, you know, constructive criticism, constructive and positive, um, and let them know, Hey, this is your chance to turn it around. You know, look at the things that you can change. Um, look at the things that, you know, may have been influencing your move to the bench. Um, and what I try to do is get that to motivate them to work even harder, like Jesse was saying, um, you know, use it to motivate, to train harder, to really push yourself to see if you can get back into that top spot. Um, And at the same time, you know, supporting the person who's, you know, now on the field, because that's also important is to making sure that you're, you know, supporting your teammate um, while also trying to, you know, push yourself, push them at the same time. Yeah. Richard, how do you, how do you tell a goalkeeper who, or how do, how do you work with a goalkeeper who may have just got demoted to number two? What do you, what's, what's your advice to, to, to always be ready? How do you get them out of that slump? Cause you know, they're not going to come to training the next day um, fired up. They're going to be probably chin to chest, a little dot, a little sour, but they want that job back. And, and how, what do you, what do you say to them? What do you, what do you do to get them going? Yeah, I think again, it's a, it's a blend of, of two things. One is the, the coach towards the player and the other one is the player themselves. And, you know, I know, I guess we're aiming or we're talking towards a coach. Again, communication is key. When it comes to the player, again, the very best, they have a way. The moment they go to the number two, and as Jesse touched on there, very similar to that, where it should then be a case of it fires them up 
rather than demoralizes. And what you tend to find, it's, it's a choice. Ultimately, you get dropped to number two, do you then beat yourself up, have self-doubt and decide, actually, I'm no good, I'm not gonna try, uh, right? I'm just gonna, you know, I'm not gonna try now in training, it, it makes no difference, blah, blah, blah. Or, like Jesse did, I did the same, where you then say, actually, I'm, I realize I need to get myself back in the team. Okay, if I'm number two, what opportunity do I have here? Well, I can work a little bit harder because I haven't got a game necessarily to prepare for. I'll touch on that a bit, but you know, it might mean that you do you, you up your weights, you up your, your fast feet work, you spend a bit longer at the training ground, you uh, spend a bit more time watching games of football to really understand the position even more. There's all these different areas that suddenly you can give you more focus to, knowing that it's unlikely you're going to be playing at the weekend then of course when it flips back it's then maintaining those standards from the coach's point of view if a goalkeeper's been dropped to number two i think it's being sensitive to the situation that you may have a moody goalkeeper on your hands and it may be that you need to have a conversation with them a one-to-one just to be like look where's your head at what are you saying are you are you all right about this is it one way you're in a good place you're going to be working back to get yourself to number one or are you down on yourself at the moment and i think again this is the beauty and the sign of the best coaches they can gauge the situation and again they can find that trigger to get them back on the right track yeah and on on your point about just the different personalities of the goalkeepers um that's also you know factors into the approach that you take with the keeper i've had some keepers who after they make a mistake or after they get demoted you know they beeline right for me to you know find out the reason whereas i have others who need that cooling off period to process on their own so just, um, you know, being aware of how your, how your keeper works, um, you know, getting to know them and, and, you know, knowing what triggers, what's going to trigger them. So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree on that point. Richard, you mentioned, you mentioned something about it, like when mistakes happen, you see some people kind of do this. So it's like almost a visual cue to their brain to put them back in that positive mindset. Um, what do you, what do you say to a younger kid though? Like, like, like you know what I mean? Cause when a kid, 12, 13 years old, ball goes through their hands, directly through Adam, through their hands, into the goal. It's, it's not only a crushing effect to them, but it's also a crushing impact to their team, but it's also a moral lift to the other team. So now you have 22 people who just got impacted by this, and forget the coaches and the parents and everything. That's an emotional part, like ride during a game. What do, you, what do you do or what do you recommend to a kid who's in goal that just happened to quickly wash that away. I know it's not an easy thing for someone that age. Yeah, to the kid and also to the, the parents, the coaches, is it's amazing when you flip something and you turn it into a challenge, it sounds a lot better. So, all right, the mistakes happen. If now suddenly you say to that kid, look, I'm going to give you a challenge. Can you prove to me now that you can then play the rest of the game to a really good standard? And you know what, if they do, then actually give them even more praise than if they've just had a solid game. You know, if they then bounce back from the mistake and play the last 20 minutes and their kicking's good, they make a couple of say, like afterwards, make a real point. Do you know what? You showed such character there to get through that, to bounce back. You rose to the challenge. You're a winner. You're a fighter. You know, really go overboard with the praise. Because I think for me, that's key. Whereas there's nothing worse. And again, we've all been there. You make a mistake. You end up losing the game. You come in and no one talks to you. <laughs> your coach suddenly doesn't talk to you. Your manager doesn't talk to you. Your parents don't talk to you. Friends. And you feel like, <laughs> it, yeah, you just feel worthless. It's, no, but it is. And this is where I think then it goes back to the kids won't necessarily have that understanding at that age. But I think if, if there was just, if people understood this and coaches understood this as a general uh, and globally, really, like it's one where turn it into a challenge and actually when they do show that fight, because by the way, this isn't just football anymore. All of a sudden this then relates to life. 
but that's the point as well. In that, look, it's not just going to be a football game that you get a kick and you're going to have to then bounce back. We, you know, we get, we, we've seen it throughout the world, well, in recent times and what have you. So I think it's one look, things are going to knock you down from time to time. Have you got the guts to get back up? And if you have, make sure that they know just how good it is and just what a fantastic character trait that is to have. I, I couldn't agree more with what you just said, Richard, about life lessons. And I think truthfully from, a, from advice to a, any coaches out there, that's one of the things that I feel like it, it separates a good coach from a great coach is that a great coach will bring a life perspective into anything that they're teaching with the kid. And, and failure is obviously one that everyone's going to experience. You know, how do you, to your point, challenge that person to rebound from that? And, and that's relate. Those are relationships with your parents, your boss, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, that's dealing with success in business. That's dealing with failure in business. How are you going to bounce back? Um, unfortunately, there are other hard realities to life too that you're going to have to bounce back from. And, you know, it, I, I love those challenges. I, I believe I thrive in those challenges. I do. And, and I, I like to, um, I, I, it's hard to communicate that though to a 12-year-old kid that, you know, life's hard. <laughs> you know, you're, but you're going to have to learn that process to rebound. I think that's, you, it's, it is a, a learning process. It's not something you're going to get immediately. And I feel that sometimes parents and coaches want that immediate relief. And I don't think it's that easy. No, just a, a quick one. This is uh, another thing from not just NLP. I think this is a general sort of psychological. When it comes to learning anything, and certainly when it comes to this, there are four stages to learning. And certainly for kids, not just kids, actually, adults as well. But stage one is, I'll go through them quickly, then I'll break it down. But you've got unconscious, sorry, unconscious incompetence conscious incompetence, conscious competence, unconscious competence. Now, what that is, is, number one is you don't know you don't know. So this is, use the example, the first time a kid has a ball struck at them, they go to catch it, it goes through their hands, hits them in the nose. They now go to stage two. They now know that they don't know. They know that they're no good, right? So that's stage two. Go from stage two to stage three is key because you keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, and all of a sudden it starts to stick and you've got that technique. You're now in stage three. We have to think about it, but you can consciously do it. Now, if you do it enough, you get to stage four. So those of us that drive would be a good example. You know, you don't really think about where you go. You just get in the car and before you know it, you're where you need to be. You're in stage four. You don't have to think about it, but you are unconsciously very competent at what you do. So any skill in life follows these four steps. So if you know that with a kid, and it's a case if you want them to be mentally that little bit stronger, understand a lot of the time, the majority will be in, in, in the first stage. And it might be that you have to move them through the stages. It might be that you have to the affirmations or the, what's the word I'm looking for? But you have to essentially say the same thing a lot of times before it will stink in, before they eventually move through the stages, before they finally have that moment where it goes through their hands, goes in the goal, they do whatever they do and they're cool again. Now that might take years to get right. to that point. But if they do get to that point, going back to your point, life lessons. What does that mean, mean when they're in the business world or they've got a job and they get sacked for no reason, nothing That's to do with them? Are they the type of character then that are going to bounce back and go on and get the next job or, or build their own business or whatever? Like, and that's where I think it's so much bigger than a game of football. No, I, I, I love what you just said. I love what you just said. I'm going to flip it now. Let's, let's play the role of we went from the number two and now with this slumping goalkeeper or the goalkeeper that made um, just got benched, we'll say, or demoted, this person now is going up to number one. There are a lot of nerves there and a lot of expectation. You know, hey, this person just failed. Now you're in. Now the spotlight's on you. What advice do you guys give to a goalkeeper in that situation? How do you calm them down and understand that, you know, this is now your moment? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on that. I mean, I, the first thing to note is that like, people talk a lot about pressure. And, you know, I've certainly felt pressurized in games I've played. Something that 
I became aware of is that, of course, pressure is an internal creation. So as much as in the same way that confidence is, right, as much as somebody can say lovely things to you, if you can ever get to that level where you don't need a positive comment, you don't need an external comment to make you feel good, then you've won. If you can generate your own confidence by your thoughts and, and your mindset, then it doesn't matter if somebody gives you criticism or someone gives you a compliment, it makes no difference because you're already up here, you're already so confident. Similarly with pressure, pressure is effectively you, it's the way that you process information you're given. So, all right, do you know what, I'm about to play in front of, you know, obviously I played at Man United, a good example. So I played at Man United, 77,000 people, I played in the FA Cup semi-final, they had Ronaldo, they had Rooney, and this is, this is a true story because I went through this exact situation. So I had a month to prepare for this game because they did the draw. It was us at Watford versus Man United and the other semi-final was Liverpool-Chelsea. So, uh, and I was second choice to Ben Foster but because Ben Foster played for Man United, he couldn't play against Man United. So what it meant was that I hadn't played for six weeks and then I had to step out in front of uh, 60,000 at Villa Park and I think 8 million on TV that were watching in the UK and however many around the world. So I hadn't played a game of football in six weeks. I played only five games the whole season. And I'm about to step out in the semi-final. Now, I'll be honest, the first three weeks, the majority of my mind and my thoughts were like, actually, I haven't played. I feel rusty. They've got Ronaldo. They've got Rooney. They've got uh, whoever else they've got playing. Van der Sar was in goal. They've got all these incredible players. Uh, what if I make a massive error? It's going to be shown for years and years to come. Uh, the people that are on the panel, it might not mean a lot to you guys in the States, but you had like Alan Hansen, who was just known for obliterating goalkeepers. He was like the Roy Keane of his day. You know, he just <laughs> obliterated goalkeepers. So like, all this was going through my mind. And I felt so nervous, so much pressure and everything else. Luckily, a few days before the semi-final, I then started to think a bit differently. I started to think, you know what, if this is the biggest day of my life, I'm going to talk about this for the next 10 years. I still talk about it now. So I'm going to talk about this for the next 20, 30 years. I want to play in this game. What if? What if I play well? What if we win? What if we make an FA Cup final and it's because of saves I make? What if I make a save from Rooney, Ronaldo, etc., etc.? You know, and all of a sudden, like, it's the same game, yet I've just perceived it very differently. Now, what happens to the pressure that I was feeling all of a sudden, that, feels, that, that pressure's turned into excitement. Those nerves have turned into excitement. And it's just an obvious, a, a simple example as to how you can take the very same situation but view it differently, and the word pressure becomes a different thing. The word being nervous becomes a different thing. Uh, in terms of the game itself, unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't win, but you know, I actually came out with a lot of credit. I'm, I did make a great save from Rooney, one that I do show way too regularly. Um, Ronaldo did score, Rooney did score, but do you know what? Like, I go back, and as soon as that game was finished, that was probably one of the best moments I've had in my life, where it was a, a feeling of not necessarily, you know, we'd lost the game, but I came into the dressing room. It was like actually knowing what I'd gone through, the men mental turmoil for a few weeks building up to it, to get my head right, to play the game feeling energized, to enjoy the game, to, uh, to, to relish the opportunity. I actually finished the game, and there was a sort of feeling of pride, even though we'd lost, because it was actually, yeah. you know what? That was, again, talk about life lessons. Yeah. That was like a massive month where I look back and, and I learned so much about myself in that month. That's awesome. That's awesome. Guys, five minutes, but I do want to get to Sam, Jesse. Experiences with that same situation in the academy through college level. What, what experiences have you had and what have, what have you seen? Sam, go ahead. <laughs> um, in, in terms of being promoted from the bench to going onto the field, um, I think the biggest uh, point is what he just said is trying to turn that nervousness into excitement um, as opposed to, you know, the negative kind of anxiety, you know, flipping the, your thoughts into thinking, 
well, what if I make this mistake, this mistake, and that mistake, or let the ball through my hands? Um, and instead, focusing on, well, what if I make this awesome save? What if I, you know, you know, hold them goalless for, you know, as long as I can, um, and trying to reinforce that the whole time. Um, I think uh, when you're coming off of the bench, you definitely have the, the, the heightened pressure of wanting to, you know, prove yourself almost and prove that, you know, you deserve to be on the field. Um, and I try to get keepers to, you know, focus on, you do know what you're doing. You know, there's a reason why you're on the field and not on the bench anymore. So focus on that, you know, remember why, you know, why we put you there as opposed to whatever other options um, and, and try to use that to motivate them, you know, fall back on, you know, everything that you're good at um, and focus, focus on it like that. Nice. Nice. Jesse. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a lot of what Sam touched on. It's just un getting them to understand um, why they're in the position they are, especially as you get to the higher level and, you know, you start to feel a little bit more pressure, like especially at the college level, you know, you want to prove to your coaches, to yourself. But, um, you know, I think if you just look at, again, I think it goes a lot into training too, the preparation you have, the the mental side of things that you're taking every each and every day. Are you doing the same things that, you know, you, you've been doing every day to help you get to your spot. And now that you're there, you know, all the hard work, hard work is paid off. So I think that, you know, you can take a deep breath, but now understand that we're going to continue to, to have that same attitude and that same mentality to now take our game to even a higher level than, you know, than what the one we're at now. But the big thing for me is just for them to realize, you know, they're there for a reason and the coaches trusted them enough to put them in. So um, just having that confidence backing from the coaches, from the team, I think will will help that that transition be a lot easier. Yeah, so I, I tell I, I I always say to a goal a number two when they're going in, the, my last words to them always I look them square in the eye and I say, hey, have fun, and and they it just you can see them go and just kind of relax. And I think kids at all ages take it so seriously, and at the pro level it's supposed to be taken seriously, and I understand that. Um, but at, at the, the academy level, I, I remember my son when he put on gloves and a shirt for the first time and the day, the game was tomorrow and he's wearing his shirt and gloves and he's so happy and he slept with them on and he went to the game and he was just excited. He didn't care if he won or lost, but that excitement is what sometimes I think that we need to eliminate the pressure and get them back to that excitement part. And, you know, sometimes when you just say the simple things, have fun, you know, this is your moment, you know, shine, but have fun doing it. It, I, I see a lot, especially at that, like the college level in particular, you just see people like you see that pressure kind of just go right off of them. And it's, you need to relax. And I think by having fun, most people do, and most people play well, but it is a, it is a crazy mental game that that's played with goalkeepers. And, you know, this is hopefully a, a good conversation for many players, coaches, and parents to, to learn from. Um, real quickly, I want to just want to do final words, Richard, I'm going to end with you if that's okay, but Sam, can I start with you? Final words. Um, overall, I think the, the biggest takeaway that, you know, goalkeepers um, can, you know, take from this is, you know, focus on the positive. You know, when you're in games, take it in segments, take it one action, one step at a time, um, and really try to focus on the positive aspect as opposed to the negative. You know, think of what you can do right um, or what you will do right as opposed to what could go wrong. Well said. Well said. Jesse. Yeah, for me, um, just a big on attitude and control the controllables. You know, I think 
as especially from a number two and number one or number one to number two, I think a lot of what's going on is going to be based on your performance and your attitude. And I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to understand what's been going on with you and, you know, to really evaluate your performance. So I'm just a big control of the controllables that's around you, your attitude, your work ethic, ethic, effort, you know, everything like that. And I think if you can control that and you stay in your lane and don't worry about anything else, you'll, you'll be more successful in the long run. Well said. Richard, final words from you, sir. Yeah, just I suppose on the back of that, control the controllables. For me, the two things would be uh, continual never-ending improvement. Understand that there's always somewhere in your game you can improve, whether that's technically, tactically, physically, nutritionally, mentally. There's always something you can improve and enjoy improving. So that goes back to control the controllables. Look, the external stuff, the trophies, the medals, the plaudits, that all comes, providing you focus internally and you just become as good as you can possibly be. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Sam, Jesse, thank you very much. Richard, I appreciate everything you're here. I appreciate you being here. Thank you for your expertise on today's subject. Um, everyone, guys, have a, a great night. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks.